four. Told you we have about a, two lessons left in this book. This is our twelfth lesson through this book so far, so we've gotten a lot out of it. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6 is going to be our text this morning. So join us there. The topic today is going to be prayer. Fitting, right? That's why I had Dan read that passage of Scripture today. Prayer is about the most important thing you could talk about, one of them at least. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning. We're going to get it from the text. Before I do that, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you were going to get it no matter what? Think about that question. Did you ever want something so bad, as a kid or adult, that you were going to get that thing no matter what? I have this idea. You guys ever do this when you go into a store and there's an article of clothing or something you want, but maybe it's not article of clothing, but something else, and you don't want anyone else to have it, but you don't necessarily have the money or you don't think it's really what you want, so you hide it. Anyone ever done that? How weird is that? So you take the article of clothing that's going to fit you perfect and you don't want anyone else to get it and you kind of put it back three or four or ten items so no one's going to find it. That's kind of the idea is you're going to get that thing and you're going to do whatever necessary. Here's another really good illustration of that and I mentioned it several times only because I think it's so fitting. We're only a couple months away from this. Black Friday shopping. Has anybody experienced this? Raise your hand if you've gone Black Friday shopping. Has anybody experienced a big crowd or a tussle, even a fight, anything like that? I have. That's why I bring this up. People in Black Friday, they turn into animals, and they're going to get the said bargain uh, no matter what it takes. And so sometimes that means they get in each other's way, they yell, they push each other around. So that's another illustration. I'm going to share one with you from my own life. It's from when, my, when I was a child. When I was little, I was really into sports, and one of the, my favorite things to do was collect baseball cards. Anyone else baseball card fan? Okay. Hardly anyone. <laughs> Guess that's not around anymore. Okay, we have a couple. Uh, so when I was little, it was all about baseball cards. That's all I cared about. Uh, my, my entire thought from sun up to sundown is collect them, get more, and just have a blast doing it. Well, I was also a Christian, you know, had that part of my life as well. We went to this thing called Awana. Do you guys remember that? Was that around in your church as well? Yeah. Good old Awana. Awana was this kids program that our church put on, and you would do things like memory verses and play games and learn a little Bible study. Well, at our, our Awana, they really encouraged Bible memorization, which is a good thing, right? So this one week, our, our leader said that they were going to help us incentivize, I don't know if that's the word they use because we wouldn't understand that, but... They were going to incentivize our scripture memorization process by giving us rewards if we did these things. So we, they had a verse for us, us to say, and if we said that verse, we were going to get a reward. And I think the girls had something for the girls, a doll or something like that. And for the boys, it was baseball cards. And I was like, what? My eyes were like, what? And all I could focus on then was the baseball cards. And I said, all I have to do is say my memory verse and I get baseball cards? Yeah, that's the system. So what you had to do is you had to take your verse home, practice it, say it to your parents, and then your parents had to sign off with their signature to say to your WANA leader that you said the verse. Simple enough, right? Well, the first week I did. I learned my verse like a hardworking child, said my verse to my dad, got the signature, brought it back, and got the baseball cards. I was like, oh, this is sweet. You know, I'm going to really do well at this. But then I realized the next verse was kind of more challenging. You know, they kind of went up in level as we went on, and the next one was going to take a lot more time to know. So I realized, well, maybe there's a way to get the cards without knowing the verse. <laughs> that was 
that's evil, right? As a young child to think that. But guys, I'm, I'm really sad to admit this, but my dad's signature isn't really hard to forge. <laughs> At least I thought. Um, my dad's signature is very basic. It's just a couple squiggly lines. And I noticed that because he signed my, my one before that, the one I actually said. So I started to not train myself to say the memory verse, but train myself to learn how to sign my dad's signature so that I could sign it, bring it into my leader. He would notice the signature and give me the cards. Well, for the first week or two, it worked. I signed my dad's name saying I said the verse. I showed it to my leader. He gave me the cards, and we went on like that for a couple weeks. And then one day, my dad said, Todd, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, what's this about? You know, thinking, no problem. I'm getting away with this scotch-free. He said, Todd, have you been signing my name to your memory verses? And I was like, what? Why would you say that, Dad? And he, sh he showed me it. Like, he had it with him. Apparently, the leader went up to my dad and said, do you know what your son has been doing? I don't know how he figured it out, because I was a mastermind, you know? I don't know if he just said, listen, this doesn't look like your signature, or I quizzed Todd, and he doesn't know the memory verse at all. So did he know it with you? My dad realized after seeing the signature, it was not his signature. He didn't remember me saying these verses, so my dad got very, very mad at me. And ironically, my punishment for this is I lost every single one of my baseball cards for the entire summer or something like that. All of them taken away, and I had to learn my lesson because that was a really evil thing, right? But my point here is that I did what was necessary in order to get the prize, Okay, so we're not going to use the evil part of the illustration, just the uh, motivation part of what we want to talk about today. So take your Bibles today and go with me to Colossians chapter 4 and listen to what Paul says on prayer, verses 2 to 6. Paul says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I have to apologize. We had a bunch of slides. I was going to take you through the slides. The slides got... Uh, deleted somehow. So we don't have slides. I hope you have your bulletin. Does everybody have that bulletin in front of you? So follow along as we go through these notes here. I want to talk about prayer this morning. The title of our lesson is going to be Getting the Key That Unlocks the Eternal Treasure. We have been talking about who through the entire book of Colossians. Does somebody want to guess? Take an aim at that one. What have we been talking about through the book of Colossians? He has a name. Did I hear it? Christ? Someone said it. Way in the back. Jab Janine. Christ! Isn't he been the theme of the entire book of Colossians? Jesus Christ? Well, as I've noticed the book of Colossians, there's been a theme that's kind of risen to the surface. That is, Jesus is the eternal treasure. Or we've been calling him the treasure of treasures. So the title today is Getting the Key That Unlocks the Eternal Treasure. And I'll explain why I titled it that as we go along. See, the Christian life, or better, Christ himself, is eternal treasure. I hope you guys believe that. We've taken 11 lessons up to this point to talk about this treasure. And I hope you've seen from Colossians and from God himself that Jesus is the most valuable, valuable and precious thing in existence. And I hope you've learned that. 
So Christ is the treasure, but like most treasures, there's a lock. There's a lock, right? Because it's valuable and important. And I think it's locked because of our sin. But there's a key to this treasure, thankfully. And we're going to talk about that key today, and we're going to talk about how to get that key today. And the, the way we get it is through prayer. So, if you believe that Jesus is treasure, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, and you believe there's a key, we must get the key no matter what. So we can unlock the treasure. We must begin investing in this treasure before it's too late. Because time is waning, isn't it? Take an account of your life. Take an account of your last year or few months. Doesn't it move fast? Doesn't it go quickly? Mine certainly does. We have five children. Ours is now set to go into kindergarten. And I was thinking this past week going, that went quickly. It's long. Of course, the days are long sometimes with children. But it also goes very quickly. Haddon is already in kindergarten. And so the time is going very, very quickly. And we can't miss out on this internal investing opportunity. Because, I'm going to say this one very profound thing, it's eternal. It's eternal. Consider that phrase or that, that word for a moment. Eternal investing. Is this something we can miss out on? The obvious, the obvious answer is no, we cannot. So we must ask ourselves these questions. I'm going to put these on your sheet today. These are three questions we must ask ourselves before we enter into this lesson today, okay? Question number one, do you truly want the eternal treasure? And remember, the treasure is Jesus himself. Do you truly want the treasure? I can't answer that for you, and you can't answer that for me. You have to answer it for yourself. And the scripture teaches us that few actually want it. He says there's a narrow road and there's a broad road. A lot of people are on the broad road, but he says the narrow road, actually few people find it. Are you one of the few? Do you actually want the treasure of Christ Jesus? Again, it's eternal treasure. It's not just money. It's not just a great possession on the earth. It never spoils. It never fades. It never goes away. So the question you need to ask yourself is, do you actually want it? Question number two. If you want it, will anything hold you back from securing the treasure. Anything. I want to emphasize anything. Will anything hold you back from getting, following, obeying Christ Jesus? Is it optional? Is it optional if we miss out on this treasure? A week or so ago, Janine and I had a weird experience. A chipmunk got into our house. Anyone ever been there? A chipmunk or a squirrel get into your house? We had a chipmunk get into our house. And uh, Janine and I, uh, Janine, I wasn't even home at the time. Janine found it. It was in one of our children's bedrooms. There was a chipmunk. And so she managed to get it out of the bedroom and get it into the kitchen area. But the little bugger ran underneath our little uh, stove area. I mean, it's like this far off the floor. And he snuck himself underneath it. And so not, not, what now what do you do? You got a chipmunk in the house. So you know what I said to Janine? It's just a chipmunk. Let's just live with it. You know, it's just a chipmunk. I said, what, you know, what's the worst? We could actually make it our pet, you know? I, so I, I convinced her. I said, Janine, it's just a chipmunk. What's the worst that can happen? And you know what Janine said? You're right. Let's close the door. Let's just live with a chipmunk and just make it part of our family. That is a joke. I hope you understand it. That is ridiculous. 
To live with a chipmunk with your family would be the worst thing. Imagine this little critter living with you amongst your family and your little children, gnawing your brain out in your sleep. You cannot live with a chipmunk. And I know that's a really dumb illustration, but it's not optional. Janine and I had to get that chipmunk out of the house no matter what, even if it took several hours, even if it took ruining something great that we had to you know, use to get the chipmunk out. We had to get the chipmunk out of the house. And again, that's a dumb illustration, but can we miss out on this treasure? The obvious answer is we can't. We can't. It's not optional. It's not optional for something to be an eternal treasure, and you're an eternal soul, and you miss out on it. And I hope you've understood that from the last 11 chapters, 11 lessons, excuse me, of Colossians. And the third question is this. If we've cleared those two hurdles, if we do want the treasure, and if we're not willing to let anything hold us back from securing the treasure, what must, what must we do to get it? That's kind of the point of today's lesson. If you want the treasure and nothing will hold you back, what must you do to get the treasure? I want to say this clearly. Eternal treasure is worth any amount of temporal pain and labor. Do you believe that? That eternal treasure is worth any amount of temporal, earthly pain and labor. So what must we do to get it? Jesus answers this question for us in John 15. This is going to be on the screen. I don't know if it's on your sheet, but it's John, from, uh, John 15, verses 4 to 5. I want you to listen to what Jesus says today about securing the treasure. He says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And I want you to listen to this part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that. That we're the branch, he's the vine, and unless we're connected to the vine, there is no fruit possible. There is no treasure attaining possible unless you're connected to the vine. For apart from me, you could do nothing. I had Janine paint that phrase for us. It's inside her house, and I look at it a lot going, wow, there it is. That's profound. So if I want to start the day on a good foot, I have to do it by Christ and with Christ. So in other words, the treasure's locked. There is no eternal treasure attaining apart from Christ's divine help. It's a fool's errand to try to serve and live for Christ without his help. Even if we really desire to live a life worthy of what Christ deserves, we cannot accomplish it without God's strength and God's wisdom. And that's all over Scripture. That's not just John 15. Therefore, this is what I want to make clear to everyone today, Jesus is the treasure and he's the key. Do you notice that? He's not only the eternal treasure, he's how you secure the treasure. He's how you open the treasure. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm everything. I'm the life, but I'm also the way to the life. So he's the treasure and he's how you unlock the treasure. So he's the key. But we're going to find this from today, from text. Prayer is how we get the key. Prayer is how we get the key, who is Jesus, his strength and wisdom, in order to follow Jesus. So that's why I've titled it, Getting the Key that Unlocks the Eternal Treasure. 
We're going to talk about prayer now for the rest of our time. Prayer. Think about how much you spend time praying throughout the day and week. I wish it was more for me. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'm where I need to be in the aspect of prayer. I'm a doer. I like to get out and do it with my hands and my mind and put my mind to it and get it done, you know? And prayer kind of sometimes slips my mind, and that's the shame that it does. I want to give us five truths about prayer as I see it in Scripture, okay? Five truths about prayer before we dive into the meat of the text here. Number one, prayer proves we depend upon God for everything. It's logical. Think about it. The reason you're praying is because you're saying to yourself, I need your help, God. That's the whole reason you pray, so that you can seek out God for his help. In other words, you get it when you pray. You understand it. You understand that you need God's help in order to do something. And when you're praying, you're correct. You do need God's help, and so do I. So it proves we depend upon God for everything. That's the first thing we learn about prayer. The second thing we learn is that the Lord should be the object and the subject of prayer. In fact, maybe that's what you learned from when Dan read scripture, is that Jesus says, pray for the will of God and for his name to be hallowed above all other requests. Prayer is to the Lord, and it's about the Lord. At least it should be. So the Lord is both the subject and the object of prayer. And we need to calibrate our minds to that idea. Number three, God's power is limitless. Limitless. Anything we pray for, and I want to emphasize that, anything we pray for can be accomplished. Because God is, doesn't have any boundaries, does he? No boundaries. No boundaries upon his power and wisdom. God can accomplish anything. And I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, right? It's obvious and yet not obvious, because sometimes we withhold ourselves from praying for really big things. There's this one aspect in Scripture that has taught me this more than anything. Jesus had a friend. His name was Lazarus. Do you guys remember that story? <laughs> Lazarus was his friend, and he got really, really sick the one day. And so some, some, some of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lazarus is sick. He's really sick. We should go see him. And as soon as Jesus heard that Lazarus is sick, you know what he did? He stayed two days where he was. He didn't rush to his side. He didn't do anything like that. He stayed where he was for two more days. And you know what happened? Lazarus died. Isn't that a weird twist of the story? Jesus stays where he is. He doesn't rush to heal Lazarus, lets him die. So by the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So much so that his sister said, don't go near him. His body stinks. He's dead, Jesus. In fact, they run up to Jesus on the road and said, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have saved Lazarus. You could have healed Lazarus, but now it's over. He's dead. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm the resurrection? And Martha was like, yeah, Jesus, I know we're going to raise on the last day. Jesus goes, I'm the resurrection. So he went to where Lazarus was. Lazarus, back in the day, they put him in kind of these mummy clothes. They had these burial clothes all over him. Lazarus had been dead four days, and Jesus said something to Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus rises up, walks out, and Jesus commands the people to take his mummy clothes off. He's not dead. <laughs> Jesus raised the dead, which means, very obviously, Jesus has power over death. Even when it seems like the window is closed, the ship has sailed, it's not for Jesus. So Mary and Martha learned something that day. Not only can he heal the really, really, really sick, even if death takes Lazarus, Jesus can bring him back. 
So God's power is limitless. Number four, without prayer, we labor for God in vain. And that's convicting for me because I'm a minister. And I don't like to consider myself doing anything in vain, but sometimes I am because I don't pray. Because I don't seek the Lord. You guys ever vacuumed your house? Even some of you guys? You know what that's like, right? Vacuuming your house. I want you to do something for me. When you go home, I want you to pull out your vacuum, wherever the messiest part of your house is, and I want you to try to vacuum that floor without the vacuum plugged in. Where are you going to go? Where's that gonna, what's that going to do? What's that going to accomplish? The answer, of course, is nothing. You can run over those crumbs a thousand times. The vacuum is not going to pick it up unless it's plugged in to the power. Do you understand that illustration? So unless we work and labor with Christ's help, we labor in vain. We're like a vacuum that's not plugged in. And I stole that illustration from my mom, so i got to give her credit. Uh, it's a good one, though. Um, and number five, prayer pleases the Lord. It pleases him. And it trains us to seek him continually. Prayer pleases the Lord, and it trains us to seek him continually. And the Lord loves to be sought. He just does. Doesn't everybody? The Lord loves to be sought in prayer, to say to the Lord, I need your help. Thank you for your help. Lord, I can't do this without your help. The Lord loves that. So number five is prayer pleases the Lord. Let's get into the text now, what Paul says here to the Colossian church. Okay, the first thing he says is, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's kind of a redundant phrase, if I'm honest. Continue in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, as if to say, don't stop, ever. Pray without ceasing. Remember that from 1 Thessalonians, right? Pray without ceasing, Paul is basically saying. And really what I think he's saying is, if you really knew the power of prayer, you never would cease to pray. If you really understood the concept of prayer and the concept of God's limitless power, you never would cease to pray. Anyone like being productive? Okay. <laughs> None of us. I like being productive. I like to think that I'm a productive person. You know, in fact, that's why I use this old school Blackberry here, because uh, I think it makes me more productive. It might be a lie. But I like the idea of being productive. Well, there is no more productive soul than the person who seeks God in prayer. Nobody. If you seek the Lord in prayer, you will be productive. You will have fruit hanging all over your branch. Next, prayer takes persistence. Do you notice that? Continue steadfastly in prayer. He's almost training us right away. Get ready to persist. It takes persistence and endurance because the Lord often tests our faith, doesn't he, in prayer. If we endure and we believe who he is and what he's capable of, we will persist. If we cease to persist, we will simply we simply do not believe, and therefore we won't receive. It's very that it's that simple. Persist and receive. Do not persist and do not receive. Because praying oftentimes is like breaker waves in the ocean. You guys ever been around those? Ever going to the waters and then really big waves? Um, I remember the movie Castaway. Uh, Tom Hanks in the movie is trying to get out into the ocean so he can escape the island, but these waves kept sending him back to the shore, back to the shore. And he had to find a way to get over those breaker waves. Well, it's almost like that's, that happens in prayer. When you pray, oftentimes you are told, your flesh is told, this isn't doing anything. This isn't doing anything. This isn't accomplishing anything. Why am I wasting my time praying? 
and you stop. At least I do sometimes because I'm willing to go on. But what we need to learn from this is continue steadfastly in prayer. Go beyond. Go further. Go to where you think you can't go. I want to illustrate this with the Word of God. If you'll take your Bibles, I'm going to use one cross-reference today. It's found in Luke chapter 18. This is a person who encountered these breaker waves, okay? Luke chapter 18, as a parable, the parable of the persistent widow. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Listen to what Jesus says. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? So in this parable, this widow wants justice. So she goes to the unrighteous king and pounds and pounds and pounds on the door until he opens. Like she's not taking no for an answer. You're going to give me justice or I'm not leaving. So the guy gets so annoyed, he finally says, take your justice and get out of here. And God is not saying he's like an unrighteous king. He's saying if an unrighteous king will do that with persistence, what will the righteous, holy God do if his people seek him day and night? Do you get that? That if we persist in prayer, if God sees faith in prayer, that door will be open to us. So the whole point is continue steadfastly in prayer. Get over the breaker waves. Persist. Go beyond. Go until you get an answer in prayer. I think sometimes uh, in prayer when we say amen at the end, it's kind of like us hanging up on God, like you're ending a phone call. You know, like, all right, Lord, here's what I need. Amen. And then you don't talk to him for a whole nother day. <laughs> Stop hanging up. <laughs> Stop hanging up on the Lord. Keep that line of communication open all day, all night. I don't mean don't say amen. There's nothing wrong with saying amen. But keep the line open. Talk to God all the time. And I'm speaking to myself today. Talk to him all the time, continually, without ceasing, with persistence, with endurance. Let him hear from you all the time. Don't hang up on the Lord. Prayer isn't a chant. It's not a quiet sermon, and it's not a grocery list that we bring to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing a list to God, but at its core, prayer is cultivating our relationship with God, isn't it? Like you have relationships here on the earth, isn't communication important? Isn't that the one thing you hear even from ungodly people in marriage? Make sure you communicate. Talk to each other. We have to talk to our Father. We have to. We have to cult that, cultivate that relationship. So that's the first thing prayer is. Prayer is cultivating the relationship with God, but it's also earnestly seeking his face for the help we need to do his will. And we do need help. And I want to make that very clear today, that we can't do God's will without God's help. So cultivate that relationship by praying a lot, all the time, 
and also seek his face earnestly for the power you need, the strength you need to accomplish his will. Here's some prayer tips. And again, these are more for me than you. I hope you can gain from them as well. Uh, tip number one when you're praying, pray with purpose and direction. Not for the sake of length or to sound pious. Pray to the Lord with purpose and direction. And like in the New Testament, the sinner who beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow, that was direct, wasn't it? God, I need mercy, I'm a sinner. <laughs> that prayer got answered. Pray with purpose and direction, not for the sake of sounding like you have it together, especially in public prayer. That's hard to do, right? Sometimes you want to pray like you're giving everyone a quiet little sermon. Pray to the Father directly with purpose, not to sound pious. Number two, here's a tip. Be personal and yet respectful to your Father. Have confidence in prayer. Go boldly to the throne of grace is what Hebrews tells us. Boldly to the throne of grace, remembering he's your father. I love when my children come to me. I do, generally. Uh, and, and ask for things and come and sit on my lap and show delight when they come to me. Especially when I come home from work. That's the best thing. So the Lord loves when you come to him. But never lose the respect for your father either. That's a good thing to remember. Respect him because he is God. He's not just your father. He's your holy, heavenly father. And another tip is seek the Lord's glory and will above all requests. And we learn that from Jesus teaching us how to pray. When you pray, say like this, Father, hallowed be your name, number one. Do you often just pray for the sake of God's name? Oh, isn't that convicting too? What if we just prayed sometimes just for God's name to be hallowed in our life upon this earth? Man, that'd be a good prayer, wouldn't it? Lord, I have nothing to ask of you except this, this one time at least. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That would be a very good way to train ourselves to pray. Because that is the purpose for everything. God's name and God's purpose and God's will binds everything together. Our stuff doesn't really matter if it's lost outside that grand scope of God's will. It doesn't matter. But inside of God's will, it matters tremendously. So we need to calibrate and train our minds to pray for the Lord's glory and will above all requests. Spend the most time praying about God's will to be done in your life and the lives of those you love. The next thing Paul tells us after he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, is he says, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does that mean, do you think? Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. As I've studied and thought about this idea of being watchful in prayer, this is the kind of the conclusion I came to, is that prayer must be teamed with expectation and anticipation of our requests being answered. In other words, watch and wait for his answer. Don't just say, you know what, I'm going to pray, just kind of a last resort, see if that does anything. When you pray, anticipate. When you pray, expect answers. That's what it means to watch. Watch and wait for God to act. And until he acts, keep praying. Keep seeking his face over and over. So we must watch in prayer, but we also must do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is crucial to prayer because it does something for us as well. It proves to the Lord that we are thankful for what he has done, what he has promised to do, and what we expect him to do based on our requests. But thanksgiving also fuels our persistence in prayer. 
Because when you thank the Lord, you remember what he's capable of, don't you? When you thank the Lord, you remember what he's already done, and then you go, oh, he can do that again? Do you ever have a very similar situation come up in your life and go, it's kind of like what I just went through a few years ago? That's the point. Persist. Go to him. Remember what he's capable of and what he's done in your life. And it fuels persistence, and it also fuels faith in prayer. Thanksgiving is very good for us all the time. When we thank God, we remember what he's done and what he's capable of. So be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Are you thankful to God today? Are there lots of things to be thankful for today? I hope you would say it's endless. Show the Lord it's endless. Try to thank him for as many things as you can. It, it will help your faith. It will help your persistence in prayer. It will give you legs when you think you can't go on. Paul continues by saying this. As you pray, at the same time, pray also for us. He's meaning the apostles at that time who were spreading the gospel. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is basically saying to the Colossians, pray for me. Pray for those like me. Pray for your ministers. Pray for myself. It's basically what the text is saying. Pray for your pastor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that one today. Pray for me. Because Paul is basically saying, ministers just like everyone else are weak people. They just are. Who need prayer. In fact, maybe they need more prayer than anyone else because they're on the front lines of the battle. Maybe ministers, probably ministers, are facing more temptation than anybody. Because if the, if the devil hurts and tempts and takes down the pastors and the ministers, he weakens the entire structure, doesn't he? So he puts a bullseye on the ministers and says, if I get them, I get a lot of them. So pray for us. Pray for myself. Ministers are weak people. Without faithful prayer, I think we shouldn't expect excellence and endurance from our ministers. Unless we're praying for our ministers, I don't think we should expect them to be excellent and to endure. Because they're going uphill like everyone else. In fact, theirs might be very, very uphill. So pray for your ministers. Pray for those who are doing the gospel work. Because of this one thing, ministers are given to you for your benefit. I'm not here for my sake. I'm here for your sake. That's the whole point. So that I can bless and, and strengthen the church. So when you pray for me, it strengthens you. That's how it's supposed to go. So pray your ministers, pray myself, pray your pastors into success. For the Lord's sake and for your own sake. Pray. The last thing he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I wonder how that goes with prayer. I wonder what Paul is saying there. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, meaning not the church, unbelievers. Walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In other words, you need God's wisdom for that as well. You need God's wisdom how to speak to your coworkers and your neighbors and your unsaved family and friends, don't you? So do I. 
you need God's help in order for your speech to always be edifying. And that's a thing, that's an art I think we've lost in evangelism and witnessing, is that we're there to edify, to share the good news. Yes, we have to share the bad state of things. We have to, in order to share the good news, the bad has to be known. But the point is to not highlight the bad. The point is to highlight the good, isn't it? That's the whole point of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. So our speech must be seasoned with salt. And I want you, as a footnote, I want to make this aware to every single one in this room. Every single one of you have your own mission field. There are family members and friends and co-workers that you can get to that I never will. And vice versa. There are people in your life that you can say things to that I never could say things to. A, because I don't have a relationship. B, because if I tried, they wouldn't hear me. But you can. You can say them. You can speak into their minds, into their hearts' truth. They'll listen to you. So you have your own mission field. How are you reaching those people? Do they know about your treasure? Do they know about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it upon your life? Is it upon your speech? So we need to know how to deal with unbelievers. We need God's wisdom in order to reach them. Paul said in the New Testament, to the Jews I'm a Jew and to the Gentiles I'm a Gentile. Paul was not saying I'm a hypocrite. He's saying I have to learn how to reach Jews differently than how I reach Gentiles. So family members might need to be reached differently than your coworkers, right? And you need to know how to speak that kind of language. But I think he's also saying, be careful not to waste your time and your language on those who have no interest. Because it is truth in Scripture from Matthew 7, 6, that we shouldn't cast our pearls before swine. And I know that's a hard language to use. But there is a time where God is saying, I'm not blessing this conversation. I'm not softening their heart right now. Do you remember what I taught you before? Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. In other words, if Christ is not blessing our conversation and our opportunity, we're just banging our head against a wall. Unless God softens the heart, what is to be done from us? And I don't know how to tell you how to do that to each individual person. I don't know what to, how to tell you when God is blessing versus when he isn't blessing a conversation and an opportunity. That's why we pray. God, grant me wisdom. God, grant me the understanding to know when to go forward, when to continue, and when to go, Christ is not in this at this moment. And to use your time and your language towards those who might be. We need God's help for even that. Because you and I are mouthpieces for the Lord. It's just honest. I can't raise anyone from the dead, and neither can you. I cannot reason with a corpse. <laughs> I couldn't have gone to Lazarus on that day and said, Lazarus, come out! Come on! Lazarus! Get up! Move out! Let's do it! Imagine that. Todd, stop. It's not working. But when Jesus goes, he speaks to the dead, and the dead arise. We are mouthpieces for the Lord. If the Lord isn't with us, we labor in vain. But here's, I think, what he's also saying, is we must never be rude or mean or ever prideful when sharing the light of Christ. We must never get in the way of what God is seeking to do. With our uh, pride, with our personality, anything like that that would get people to turn off from Christ, Get out of the way. Now use your speech, use your language, edify as much as you can, 
but never with meanness, never with rudeness, never with pride. Because in often way, this is a way I can illustrate what we are compared to Christ. Christ is the jewelry, and we are the jewelry cases that the jewelry is displayed in. If people look upon us and see smudges and dim lighting and scratches, they're going to think ill of our Lord. But if we represent Christ poorly with kindness and generosity and compassion, they're also going to see what Christ is like and want it. So in order to have Christ-like language, kindness, and compassion at all times and always enhance everyone we speak to, we need to stay so close to the Lord in prayer, so close to him. Not move away from him. Take him wherever we go. Every conversation, every time you go to work, every time you encounter someone in your family who doesn't know the Lord. Lord, bless this. Lord, help me. And a lot of those conversations will go better. What's the point? What's the point of all of this? Number one, as I mentioned before, Christ is the hidden treasure. Christ is the treasure. Living a life that is pleasing to Christ, living a life that Colossians 1 taught us, what Christ is worthy of by obeying his commandments and investing and securing this treasure is going to take a key. So number one is Christ is the hidden treasure, and how we find that treasure is by obeying his commandments and following him. And what Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, build our house upon the rock. Do you remember that where Jesus says, Build your house upon the rock versus the guy who tries to build his house in the sand. And you know how you build your house upon the rock? Those who hear the words of Christ and does them is the person who builds his house upon the rock versus those who hear the words of Christ and does not do them. That person builds his house upon the sand. So Christ is the treasure. We have to be building our house upon the rock. But point number two, without constant steadfast prayer, we cannot live a life worthy of the Lord. We cannot obey his commandments. There is no shortcut in prayer. You guys ever go to a grocery store, ever been in a traffic line, and you convince yourself that if I switch lanes, I'm going to zoom on past everybody else. You ever try that? If I get out of this lane I've been in for a long time and get in this other lane, I'm going to get there faster. And as soon as you switch lanes, you realize the other lane starts moving. You're like, come on. There's no shortcuts, right, in life, especially in prayer, and in serving the Lord. If we don't pray, we don't get there. We can't do the impossible without Christ. He is the only one who can conquer this hill, conquer this foe that we face in front of us. Number three, praying is simpler and more profound than we know. It is possible to pray incorrectly. It is possible to pray selfishly. But I want to tell you today that ceasing to pray is worse than that even. Because even when you pray, the Lord can correct your shortcomings in prayer. But when you cease to pray, nothing happens. When you cease to seek the Lord in prayer, you don't get what you came for. So you and I need to learn how to wrestle in prayer and seek the Lord's face over and over in order to gain the key, which if you remember is Christ himself, in order to get the treasure who is... Christ himself. So Jesus taught us in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be opened. It tells us three times in three different ways to do the exact same thing. Come to me for help. And he promised us answers if we do that. 
So praying is simpler and more profound than we know. It's simple, don't overcomplicate it, but at the same time, remember its power and seek the Lord for answers. To recap very quickly, this is what we've been saying this entire lesson. Number one, Jesus and following Jesus through obedience is the eternal treasure. Remember that Christ is the treasure we're dealing with here, okay? Seeking to attain him and everything that comes with Christ is what we're talking about today. That's the whole point. We're not just aiming at any direction. We're aiming at Christ. Number two, Jesus' divine help through the Holy Spirit is the key to unlocking the treasure. Without that key, we don't get in. Without that key, we do not follow Christ. We do not obey his commandments. We do not reach the lost. We do not become holy. We must have the Holy Spirit's help. And number three, prayer, persistent prayer, is how we get the key. Does that make sense? Christ is the treasure. Christ is the key. Prayer is how you get the key. Persistent prayer. Prayer and obedience is our role in the Christian life, okay? God leaves that for us. We seek him and we obey. That's our role and Christ does everything else. So focus on your role, seeking the Lord and obeying the Lord. We're over time, so i got to give my applications very quickly. Number one is obvious yet not obvious many times. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray with endurance. Pray on the mountaintops of life and in the valleys of life. Pray to love the Lord and to live a life worthy of what he deserves. As Colossians told us, pray to put sin to death. Pray to put on righteous living. Pray to live a life worthy of what Christ deserves. Pray, pray, pray. Number two, application, gird up your loins. It says in 1 Peter 1.13, which really means be ready to act. Be ready to work in the Christian life, even in prayer, because laziness and shortcuts are not going to secure the eternal treasure. Just not going to happen. So you and I have to be willing to go after this. Number three, know. Know the Lord and know his commandments so that when you pray, you aim in the right direction. Because remember, it's about God's name. Remember, it's about God's will, primarily. Know the Lord, know his commandments, know what he desires, so that when you pray, you aim in the right direction. Number four, persist. Getting the key, which is Christ's power, again, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, in order to live for Christ, will take endurance and persistence. And we've said that over and over, but I want you to hear, hear that today, is we must go forward until the end. We can't afford to stop short and miss out on the treasure. Janine and I have recently started to work, yet, work out. If you guys have ever uh, tried to go through that process, it hurts. I'm just going to be honest. Working out hurts. You get to this point where the pain is screaming at you to stop. But I've noticed that when you stop, you're not very far into it. <laughs> So I told Janine, um, we should have this thing, at least I'm going to have this thing that when, when my body yells at me to stop, I'm going to do 15 more. 15 more after the pain comes. And that was hard, and it is hard. But I've noticed that once I do that, the body starts screaming later and later and later. Persist in prayer. When you start praying, it's like, oh, my word, five minutes. Come on, Lord. Answer this request. And then you learn how to go beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond until the door is opened. We can't afford to not get this treasure. In application number five, remember and reflect this one thing. 
Jesus is worthy. Even if you and I didn't get treasure, and we do when we follow Christ, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of us seeking him. He's worthy of us obeying him. He's the eternal treasure. He's the key to attaining all the eternal treasure. Isn't he worthy of our all? Isn't he? Do I have to convince you of that today, that Jesus is worthy of your all? Remember his wounds. His wounds are your life. He's worthy. He's the treasure. He's the key. And we must pray in order to unlock the treasure. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us about prayer. Thank you for Christ. Help us. Help each one of us to follow him, to seek him, to know him so that we can be like him, so that we can please him, so we can glorify you and hollow your name. Thank you for this church. Thank you for those who are willing to go to the summit of Christianity with me, which is living a life worthy of Christ. Bless us, Father, for Christ's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.